Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech and Finding Genius Podcast Series. I have uh, Dr. Callie Estes. Uh, she's a seasoned addictions coach, addiction coach and addictions professional. She's got over 23 years experience working with drug, alcohol, and food addictions. So we're going to talk about uh, these things. Callie, thanks for coming. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Yeah, why the interest in these addictions? You know, hopefully you didn't have them yourself when you were, uh, you know, years ago. Why the interest? Well, actually, I wanted to be an FBI agent. And after talking to several female agents, I learned that I would probably not make any money and um, would be stuck doing like undercover narcotics work. So I focused more on addiction and my uh, mentor was ex-CIA. So I learned body language and what to do in those situations and I was very good at it. And from there, um, moved forward. And yes, I actually had a small problem with, I had a big problem with food addiction and a small diet pill problem because back in the day, they would give us Fenfen, which was legal, you know, basically legal diet pills um, to lose weight. So that's sort of why I was in the industry and I was very good at it and I stuck with it and went into private practice about, oh God, almost 10 years now, 10 years ago. And that's what I've been doing ever since. Well, a lot of times the people that have a problem themselves and overcome it, you know, research it and become experts and are the best at uh, helping other people with it. So no shame in it. Yeah, no, it's, it's been very interesting. I met a lot of people. Um, I work with high-end celebrities, CEOs, executives, NFL, NBA. So I've seen people at their worst when most people have seen them at their best. How do people fall into them? Some of the addictions? Yeah, these, these various addictions. How do people fall into them? How do they uh, well, start that downward spiral? It depends on what it is. I mean, everything from drugs to alcohol to internet addiction to porn addiction to shopping addiction. It's basically a coping mechanism. I mean, it's something that releases stress and makes you feel good, sort of like a safety blanket. And whatever it is that they're using too much of, it can become time-consuming and it can become physically addictive. You know, for example, people say, well, how do I know I have an addiction or how do they get there? Well, a lot of people that are CEOs and executives, for probably your listeners, your listener base, We'll go out and have a cocktail after work. That's not a big deal. But if you find yourself having a cocktail after work and then next thing you know, it's two o'clock in the morning on a Thursday and you close the bar, you might have a problem, but you may not realize it. It may just be I'm blowing off steam or I'm taking a break or this is what I do to relax. And next thing you know, it becomes a problem. Now you can't get up and go to work on a Friday or you find, you know, your boss has called you in and said, hey, you're missing work for various reasons or you have bloodshot eyes or what have you. And once it starts affecting your life, it's a problem. And it can be any vice. It can be anything used to excess. Well, how long a progression does it take? And what are some of the stages along the way? Is it, or is it different for everybody? It's totally different for everybody. And it depends on the drug of choice. For people that use heroin, it's three days. And then it becomes super physically addictive. Things like cocaine or alcohol, over time can become addictive. But cocaine, you can bounce back with in 72 hours. So you could literally use it 
and 72 hours be completely normal, whereas heroin you won't. And it just depends on what it is. For process addictions like porn or gambling, they take longer because it's the, the body's own natural brain juice. Basically what happens is you think of the item, let's say you think of the casino and your brain starts to send out serotonin and dopamine to its receptors. You feel good, you're happy. Ooh, I'm gonna go to the casino on Friday or Saturday. And it's a week away and you get excited about it. Maybe you look online of you know, different machines or different blackjack tricks. And then you spend some time picking out your outfit. All of those things produce serotonin and dopamine. Whereas you're not really using a drug. You're not drinking, you're not doing cocaine. But the feel-good chemicals are pinging in your brain thinking about gambling. And then you get there, and we've all heard the slot machines when you walk in the front door. It's exciting. It's like, oh, here I am. I'm going to have some fun, and I'm going to make some money, and this is going to be great. And then, bam, you get addicted to that feeling. And then you lose money, and it's, oh, my goodness, I lost money. Now what? I'm going to start all over again. So that's the progression of the process for something that gets out of control. Well, um have you had anyone that has strange addictions and not out of the normal, you know, and do you counsel yeah. people that have strange ones? Or is that just for like a, a YouTube series or a TV series? Well, it's, there's been some strange ones. Um, I've worked with somebody who's eaten drywall, which was bizarre. I've worked with a Tide Pod kid that was into the Tide Pods, not just for fun and YouTube, but actually liked to sit there and suck on the detergent in the Tide Pod. Oh. And then there's been some bizarre eating, eating disorder ones are eating rituals, shall we say. For example, I had one lady who just ate carrots. She thought carrots had all the vitamins and nutrients and anything else would make her fat. So all she would do is eat carrots all day long. And then I've had people that restrict food and binge and purge on weird items as well. Like one was pickle juice. She would just drink pickle juice all day long because she thought it was a diuretic and things like that. So it truly depends on the client. And then of course I've had, you know, the porn masturbators hiding in the bathroom in between uh, work hours, and when you start getting into your celebrities, it gets into cra- crazier things, but not odd like drywall addiction, but definitely crazier or more uh, intense addictions because more money, more things you have access to. Is it, uh, you know, when I've heard people say, oh, so-and-so just has an addictive personality. Do you think that's true or is that uh, yes? Well, addictive personality is definitely true. So you have to think of the person who maybe obsesses over football, right? And their team is coming up and they're excited. Maybe they're not in the Super Bowl, so their season's over, but they're still excited for the Super Bowl. And then everything's done. And then they can't wait for August for draft picks. So all they're focusing on is draft picks. And they're looking people up and they're following it. That's an addiction. And people don't say, oh, okay, well, that's, you know, it's normal or it's whatever. It's an obsession, which can lead to an addiction. So, there are people that have obsessive personalities or addictive personalities, and maybe it's not that. They're getting tattoos, and they don't get one tattoo. They've got 20 tattoos. That's an addiction. That's an addictive personality. Somebody who goes to the gym, maybe not for an hour a day, but an hour and a half a day, or goes every single day and will miss major family obligations because they have the gym. That's an addictive personality, and they're more susceptible to drug and alcohol addictions because they're already looking for that next high or that next thing. Okay. Um, how do you know when someone's just very into something and when they're addicted to it and obsessed with it? Where is that line? Is it obvious or is it subtle? Well, like I said, once it starts affecting your family life or your work performance, once it starts affecting those things, you've got a problem. 
So if you go out and have a beer here and there, or a drink here and there, and it's not an issue, you're fine. But if you find yourself missing work or your wife's yelling at you, your husband's yelling at you, now you know there's probably a problem. If other people are noticing you're spending too much time with whatever issue it is, drugs, alcohol, uh, sex, Tinder, Amazon Prime, anything that you're now spending more time with than you would your family or your job, and it's affecting you in other areas of your life, now you have a problem. So are the comments from family, friends, coworkers, et cetera, are they helpful, or do they just drive the person to hide their and what's a typical response? Well, it totally depends on the family. Some people have very supportive families, and some people have families that are not so supportive, in a sense that some, you know, some people say, hey, I've got this issue, can you help me? And the family's super supportive, and they say, absolutely, you know, let's get you some help, let's have someone come out and meet with you. And then you have families that say, you know, there's nothing wrong with you. You, know, you drink as much as I do, or I don't see what the problem is. So those are the families that are not so helpful. But it just depends on the, the structure of the family you're in or if you have good support friend-wise. Sometimes friends will be able to pull you up and say, hey, I think this is a little excessive. Maybe you should call somebody or maybe they give them a phone number to call, which can also be very helpful. You know, I heard some people say, I am an addict. I am a, an alcoholic. Or I am a heroin addict or whatever. When people seem to identify as addicts at a certain point. Is that a good thing or a bad thing, you think? Is that part of therapy or not a good thing? Well, for me, I mean, I've been doing this 25 years. We've always said you're an addict. You're addicted to stuff, and that's okay. Now there's this whole, like, politically correct garbage where you're not supposed to say addict. You're supposed to say you have substance use disorder, which for me, it's like, okay, so now instead of just saying you're an addict, now you have a diagnostic problem in the DSM-5, which is a statistical manual that's now saying there's something really wrong with you. So I would rather say, instead of saying that you're addicted to something, you have bad coping skills. Let's figure out better coping skills and figure out the problem. Because if you figure out the problem of why you're using the drugs and alcohol or porn or whatever it is, then you get better because you know why you're doing it. You're fixing the why. As opposed to worrying and focusing on the on the word techno or terminology of addict or not addict, I would say let's get to the bottom of what's going on so you feel better. And it's, what I've seen so far is people who identify as addicts say I'm an addict, and it's the therapists that have no clue what they're doing out there going, hey, we need to change this terminology. Instead of worrying and focusing on getting an outcome or an evidence or an outcome-based approach, instead of doing that, they're more concerned with what are we going to call it, which is typical therapy. They're sitting around trying to figure out stuff and label stuff instead of solving the problem. Well, is the is it better to say I am a uh, alcoholic, or is it better to say I was an alcoholic, but now I you know I haven't managed and I'm not anymore? It seems like people, even if they're they're saying instead, oh, I'm an alcoholic and I've been clean for three years, but I'm still identifying as an alcoholic, for instance. Right. So that's interesting. That's usually when people say it that way, it usually means that they've been in treatment or they've been in AA or NA. And those are the ones that say, I am an alcoholic or I was an alcoholic. I generally say, you're an addict, you're addicted to something, and that's your coping mechanism. So let's fix the underlying cause of the coping mechanism. And then from there, when you feel better, we won't have to worry about if you were an alcoholic or you are an alcoholic, because the problem, the underlying cause will already be handled. Does that make sense? Yeah, I just, you know, maybe I, maybe I watch too much TV, but it seems like in those you know twelve step programs, they always 
again, still identify themselves as addicts, even if it's 20 years later or five years later or whatever it is. So I wonder if it's helpful to do that or harmful. That's why I ask. Oh, well, I mean, it depends on the person. I mean, some people are straight 12 step and, and work for them. And some people it didn't work for them at all. So I think it's just, I think each person gets to make that choice of what feels good to them and what their progress would be. Yeah. And then in terms of the therapy modalities, which ones have you found to be more effective? Do you have your own, um, you know, particular flavor of doing this or do you follow a program that someone else has come up with? So I do, I blend uh, therapy, talk therapy with life coaching. So the type of therapy I do is CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, positive forward therapy, MI motivational interviewing. And I then blend it with life coaching, addiction coaching and brain health, brain health being, I like to repair the brain and the damage that you've done. So for example, if you're drinking, there's certain receptors that have been damaged that are different than heroin and different receptors if it's cocaine. And I actually have an entire product line called ProRecoveryRx.com specifically for addiction and mental health. And each product line corresponds to the drug or the issue that you're having. So for example, if you have somebody who's a process addiction, sex, gambling, internet shopping, that kind of a thing, their brain is different than somebody who's damaged it with heroin. And we have an entire product line for that that supplements. So I work with the total body. I work with their mind, their brain. I also get them exercising. I get them off of sugar, off of caffeine sometimes, off of cigarettes so they feel better. They feel better. They perform better. Well, yeah, that's true. I haven't heard of most of these things. I know people have therapy and they just they are told, I guess, don't do X anymore. But, yeah, you deal with more like a holistic approach, it sounds like. You deal with you know, lowering your sugar, uh, improving their health and their diet, et cetera. How much of that do you think contributes to the success or not versus just the traditional recovery methods? Well, I don't see a whole lot of traditional recovery methods doing a whole lot of anything. So I think lately we've been able to see, you know, people have to really start doing other things. They have to start offering other modalities. They have to start offering other ways of recovery other than just sitting around saying, hey, let's talk about this. Because sitting around talking about it is great, but what about the rest of it? You know, and people say, well, I went to NA or AA and it didn't work. Well, it's tough to go to those types of environments when they're smoking cigarettes, drinking caffeine, you know, eating sugar, saying, hey, you know, you've got to be sober. These are the things you have to do. Well, <laughs> sugar's a drug, you know, caffeine's a drug. So it's difficult to, for a lot of people to do that and then get sober that way. So we have to have new ways of doing things. Well, if you do it that way, do you end up trading one addiction for another or one vice for another? You know, now you're a smoker because it stops you from drinking or now you, uh, you know, you chew tobacco so you don't do heroin, et cetera. Well, yeah, that's, that's what they're, I mean, that's, that's your 12-step model, which is you can do sugar, you can do caffeine, you could smoke, but you can't take Suboxone, you can't take Vivitrol, you can't take mental health medication to be sober. That's their model. So you either fit into that model or you don't fit into that model. And most people nowadays don't fit into that model because we have so many new things you can do. You know, we have different types of brain activities. We have different types of brain machines. We have um, different types of amino acids. We have all kinds of things now that we didn't have back in the 40s when, you know, the 12-step was the thing. Some people do hold on to that and they say, well, you know, this is the only way. Well, it's not the only way. It's your way. And if you talk to a lot of those people, a lot of them are angry. A lot of them are disgruntled. 
and they're, you know, posting nasty stuff on Facebook on a consistent basis. That's not recovered to me. That's just somebody who's not using drugs or alcohol. There's a whole process to this. You have to be, huh. you know, successful and you have to be moving forward. That's true. I didn't think about that. You're right. Just because someone's not using and they used to doesn't mean that they're uh, that much better off if they're still not successful and happy having good relationships. Stuff, you know? Yeah. And that's what we teach. We teach, you know, you need to, you need to be happy. You need to get through, you know, your demons, tackle your demons, obviously. So you're not using drugs and alcohol, but you also need to be able to do other things. You need to go out and have a good time and enjoy life. And if you're not happy and you're not using drugs, there's something wrong. Because if drugs made you happy and now you're sober and you're not happy, your brain isn't here. Because you should be happy, theoretically. If you're not happy and you use drugs to make yourself happy and now you're not doing that, according to the 12-step model, you should be happy. So if you're not, that's a problem. Okay, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> Never thought about it this way. So what's, uh, what's some of the latest and greatest things that you're including in your program, or is it now set and it's working so you don't have to mess with it? Well, like I said, we added the supplement line, which has been gangbusters. And then I have a signature program called Sober on Demand, where I bring the entire treatment concept to the client, which is very unique. So between three and 10 days, I'll work with them intensely. And they can come to me in Miami or LA, or I can come to them. If I come to them, we use talk therapy and coaching and fitness and nutrition and the vitamins to get them back on track. Uh, they come here to Miami or LA. I also have a couple of really unique brain machines that we use with, uh, in conjunction with a naturopath on both sides of the country, and it can help heal their brain and reset their brain. So those are some of the things that I do pretty much proprietarily. There really isn't anybody else that's doing that. And it's mostly for executives or celebrities. They don't want to go to treatment. They don't have time. Treatment doesn't work. You sit around for 30 days in a group full of people and whine about why you don't feel good but nobody really gets to the bottom of stuff. So I do it very intensely, getting to the bottom of it, solving the root cause, and then making them feel better. And when you feel better, you want to act better. When you act better, you have a better life. So are celebrities, I don't know, are they any different from regular people? Is it harder for them because of their circumstance? What are your feedback there? It's not that they're different from regular people. They just have more access to more money and resources. And if you have access to more money and more resources, you can do more things. So think of it this way. The average person, let's say you make $80,000 a year, right? And you allot for your bills, you allot for your you know, rent, your mortgage, your car. Maybe you have a nice car, maybe you have a Maserati, nice apartment, that kind of stuff. Well, look at somebody in the 250 income bracket. They have a nicer apartment. Maybe they have two cars. Now look at somebody in the 1 million income bracket. Now they're driving maybe a McLaren with a big house. When you start getting into big, big, big money, they get bored, bored, bored because they have all those cars and they have that big house and they have all the big dresses. And it's now what? They've traveled around the world. They've done all this stuff. They have a yacht. They have strippers on the yacht. They've done cocaine off the strippers. They get drunk. What's next? I'm bored. And they try to take things to the next level. And when that happens, they start blowing up the receptors in their brain. That's why it's so important when we come in that we, we handle that issue as well because their idea of fun just gets getting bigger and bigger and bigger because the stress also gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And then when you're spending that kind of money, you also have to be able to make that kind of money. So then the stress of, am I going to get this part? Am I going to get cut from the team? All of those things play into it, which makes them use more drugs and alcohol to forget about that stress. So it's kind of like a big circle. 
So is it harder to work with celebrities or is it easier? I mean, do you have a much tougher time or what's, what's it like? Well, it's not harder or easier. Uh, you have to put your foot down and parent a lot more because they have assistants that generally say uh, they have yes people. Yes, you can do that. Yes, you can have that. Yes, I'll buy it for you. You know, if they want green M&Ms at three o'clock in the morning, they have an assistant that will go out and get that. And the problem with that is that also goes for drugs and alcohol. And we saw that with Prince. Prince had that assistant, the girl that he was sort of bringing up in the music industry, and she was, quote, unquote, his assistant, and she's the one who was giving him the Percocet and the drugs because she was a yes person. If I say no, he will find somebody else. You know, he'll have someone else in his inner circle that he'll be able to uh, bring up, and I'll, I'll miss out. So I don't want to miss out. So I'll do whatever they want me to do. Anything they, that they require – I will absolutely do. And that's a problem because he was given bad drugs. And from there, he overdosed. So when we come along, we parent and we say, absolutely not. You know, we're not going to do that. That's not how this is going to go. You're going to follow what we ask you to do. And it's pretty simple. This is what's expected of you. And a lot of times they're not used to hearing that. So for them, it's like, oh, no, you know, this is for real. And they have a temper tantrum and they get angry and they stomp their feet and whatever it is they're going to do, but then they listen because they want, you know, to get to the next TV show and not get cut from the team or whatever it is. Is it typically the celebrity that wants this or is it uh, people in their circle or their agent or like who's driving the desire for this? For, for them to get sober? Yeah, right. If they have a problem with drugs, yes, or alcohol. It would generally be their agent. So their agent shoes are the one who's behind it or sometimes it's a family member. We've had a lot of calls from family members because they're not getting parts on TV or, you know, they haven't been reassigned to a team from the NFL. And the family calls and says, we're scared. You know, the agent called us and said, don't worry, don't worry, but there's a lot of talent out there. Uh, we had a, a very, I should say, prominent uh, quarterback that hadn't gotten redrafted. And we got the phone call in June, and the, the mother said, you know, your draft's coming up. I'm going to make sure he's, you know, he's squeaky clean. And we're meeting with the kid, and he's still using drugs. And I said to mom, he's not only not ready, he can't perform. They're not going to sign him. And she said, do whatever you have to do, get him cleaned up. Kid didn't want to get cleaned up. He had no interest in it. Mom and dad were the driving force behind it. You know what? Draft came and went. October came and went. He didn't get picked up. And the parents were devastated. And he's out there spending his money doing his thing. So we get the calls like that. If the person doesn't want to engage with us and doesn't want to take a look at things, there's only so much you can do. Okay. That's true. It sounds like it is. They're still human beings. So yeah. Yeah. Well, very good. Uh, Kelly, what's, what's the best way for people to get in touch if they need help or a family member or a friend? You know, how do they, uh, how do they find out more? Sure. We're very easy to reach. You can Google me. Kellyestis.com is one of the websites or theaddictionscoach.com, or just give us a phone call. We're at 1-800-706-0318, extension 1, and we can assist you to the best of our ability. That's great. Well, Callie, thank you for coming on the podcast. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you again. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. 